We thank you for visiting Christian Bible Temple and pray the following message speaks to your heart. Of those last two verses of the last stanza of this precious hymn, it says, Born to give them second birth. That's the gospel right there. <clears throat> that beautiful Christmas carol. Be born that man no more may die. Of course, he's talking about spiritual death. And born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. The music of this beautiful carol was written, was taken from a composition by the famous German composer Felix Mendelssohn, who was a Jew, converted to Christianity. He embraced the Lord as his Messiah, and he wrote some beautiful music. And the words were written by Charles Wesley, the brother of John Wesley, who began the Methodist movement in England in the 18th century. And he was known for his many, many hymns, some of them my very favorite because they're so biblical, they're so filled with doctrine. And that's a great message. Every time I sing this hymn, I am overwhelmed to see, uh, to hear and sing those words. And this morning, let us bow for prayer and ask the Lord's blessing as we begin the service today. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before your presence this morning thanking you for the opportunity that we have once again to come to this house of worship to worship you in spirit and in truth. And especially during this Christmas Advent to remember your incarnation, Lord, when you came down and became a man in order to die on a cross to save us from sin, from hell, from the enemy, and from the world. We thank you so much for your compassion, your love. We thank you also for your truth. We thank you for your righteousness. We thank you for your holiness. We pray this morning that you speak to our hearts as we sit like Mary of Bethany at your, at your feet to listen to your precious word. Speak to each one this morning, we ask. Dear Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Please open your Bibles this morning to <coughs> the book of 1 John, 1 John. Book of 1 John, chapter 1. <clears throat> this is what the Word of God tells us. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the Word of life. The life was manifested. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, 
Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. This morning we're going to be speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, his power, glory, and grace of light. Last week we talked about him being the light. We continue talking about the light, but we're talking about the power, glory, and grace of the light this morning. You know, light is powerful. It is glorious, and it is full of grace. And is the first thing that God spoke into existence. When we read the book of Genesis, the first words we hear there, we see that the Lord recorded there, that the Lord said, let there be light. And what does the Bible say? And there was light. How simple. Now this morning coming to church, I was listening to uh, Haydn's creation, the oratorio, the creation. And the composer Haydn uh, put to music the first two chapters of Genesis. And after the introduction, which is all the orchestra, the first words are, of course, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the baritone sings that, and very quietly. And then the chorus, very quietly, and the Spirit of God was upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. The whole chorus, the orchestra, the cymbals, the trumpets, all the instruments blast into this huge crescendo. What an effect that makes when you listen to that. And then as I was continuing to listen, time and again, the soloist kept on say, you know, reciting the words of Genesis 1. And God said, and he created this and that, and it was so. And then God created this and the other thing. And it was so. And I, was th I thought, my goodness, how simple it is. God just tells us, whatever he tells us there in Genesis, that's how it was. That's not complicated. It's complex, but it's not complicated. Those who make it complicated are the unbelievers. They start twisting things. But if you take things at face value, they're simple. Look at John, how he starts the epistle. That which we have heard from the beginning, that which we have seen, that which we have heard, that which our hands have handled, that we, that we declare unto you. How simple. Eh? That's why the Lord says, unless you become like a little child, you shall not even see the kingdom of God. Let us learn to read the Word of God in all it, the simplicity that we can possibly read it in and realize that it is the truth. It is the truth. Now, light in the Bible is equated with life. Light and life go together. Death is equated with darkness. 
Though this darkness was present in his sickly body, there was a man, an inventor, whose name was Augustine Jean Fresnel. I had never heard of him before. And I looked, it up, looked him up, and he worked persistently on his powerful light, and in the early 1820s, he tested the first Fresnel lens in a lighthouse in France. That's why it's called the Fresnel lens, because he invented it. The lens allowed sailors navigating dark, troubled waters to glimpse life-saving beams many, many nautical miles from the land and called the invention that, it was called the invention that saved a million ships. Fresnel's work was featured in thousands of lighthouses by the 1860s. Although he died of tuberculosis in 1827 at only 39 years of age, the light from his lens would save the lives of countless of seamen over the future decades. What does that tell us? It tells us that light is powerful. Okay? Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world, and we see he is the power of light. As part of his perfect plan, God chose to send Jesus, his only son, to bring light to our troubled world. As John wrote, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all, in verse 5 of the text that we read this morning. Christ pushed back the darkness of sin and death when he came and brought us the good news of life and forgiveness. Time and again, in this uh, chapter of 1 John, we read those words. Because of him, we can live in the light as God is in the light, for the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Like Fresnel, Jesus also died in his 30s. But he rose again, providing light and life for all who believe in him. That's why the apostle Paul and Silas told the Philippian jailer, when he asked them, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. In Christ, we find the power we need to walk in his light. What does it mean for you to walk in the light of Christ? We say we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We say we believe he is the light. We say we are saved. But what does it mean for you to walk in the light of Christ? It means, first of all, that you accept him and his work on the cross. You accept God's gift of salvation. A lot of people call themselves Christians. I read the other day on the uh, thing, Good Seed. They were giving the example. They asked this lady, are you a Christian? She said, only on paper. I'm a Christian only on paper, meaning the baptismal certificate. A baptismal certificate does not make you a Christian. Amen? Doesn't. Unless you accept the Lord Jesus Christ for who he is, God, and what he has done, died on the cross, was buried, rose again, ascended to heaven, and one day is coming back. Unless you believe that, really, not convinced. Some people are convicted, but not convinced. Okay? Or I should say the other way around. They are convinced but not convicted. Okay? When you accept God's gift of salvation, when you believe that the Lord sent his, the Father sent the Son to die on the cross, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth, have you received the second birth? The Lord says, unless you are born again, born from above, 
you shall not even see the kingdom of God. Don't be fooled by people who enter or exit a church. I was talking to Nick in Wisconsin yesterday. We're talking about, I was talking about some of my relatives. That one of my great aunts talking with her one day. She says to me, you know, son, it is beautiful to believe. And I remember that and never forgot. But she died back in 1965. And those words re remained in my mind. And I was telling Nick, I said, you know what? I don't know how much light she had, but she was faithful to what she knew. Much better that than a lot of people who know the Bible inside out and don't live it. Okay? And I said to him, I, I bet how many, I, I, I would like to know how many Baptists are going to hell. How many evangelicals are going to hell? How many Christian Bible temple members are going to hell? Make sure you are not one of those. Because your membership in a church does not guarantee your entrance in heaven. Only your membership in the body of Christ guarantees your entrance in heaven when you are born again. Some uh, believers, some, or I should call them church comers, church goers in the evangelical churches are just Catholics in an evangelical church. They go to church once in a while. Now, we don't light candles here. But we just come, sit, listen to the sermon, then we go, and then we come back, what? Six months later, we come back to another service. You know, I question the salvation of people like that. You say, we need to be here every Sunday? Well, let me put it to you this way. The Lord says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. How closely are you following the Lord? Not just physically, but in your heart. Think about that. Never forget that God is a personal God, not a God of multitudes. God is a personal God, and each person is going to give God an account of his or her life in the day of judgment. Make sure your account is good. Make sure you have been born again. Make sure that you do the things the Bible says, because it is not the hearers, but the doers that will, will be justified. Remember that salvation and obedience go hand in hand. When you are born again, then you walk in obedience to his word and commandments. And this is how you shine for him. What did the Lord say in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount? You are the light of the world, he says to those who were hearing him and believing in him. You are the light of the world. Let your lights shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a candle and put it under the bed, but in a, on top of the table, candlestick, to light up the whole room. God does not need secret agents. You know what that means? Nobody knows you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, not only you need to say it, but you need to live it. Because that's how people are going to see the truth. Because perhaps you are the only Bible they will ever read. And another thing, how do you live and how do you behave outside the doors of this church? Do you have one behavior here and another behavior out there? Are you careful with your words here, and but out there you use all kinds of filthy language? Do you come here to listen to the word of God, and then you go out there and you listen to all the garbage the world throws at you? But those are questions that only you can answer. Because certainly I cannot see your heart. The Lord can, but I can't. So when we let our light shine, what does it mean? It means that we do the will of God. It means that we obey God. It means that we do the right things. Not what is convenient, 
but what is correct. Thank God this morning for the light he brought into this world and hopefully into your heart. Christ, the power of, the, of light. Christ also is the real and true glory. In the book of Psalms, <coughs> excuse me, in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 63, it says there in verse 3, Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. The Lord's loving kindness, it says, is better than life. And because of that, my lips shall praise you. Let us remember that the true glory of Christmas is the Lord Jesus Christ, not the glamour of world lights, ornaments, and gifts. The world offers us a glamorous but superficial Christmas. God's gift of Christmas is glorious and profound. Jesus is my Savior. Make sure it is yours as well. We celebrate Christmas because of our hope in Christ first. And secondly, it is a family time to make good memories. Should we celebrate Christmas? Absolutely. But let us do it biblically. And let us do it with family and even good friends. Let us make good memories. Some people don't know how to make good memories. Some people are so sour. I don't celebrate Christmas because we don't have a guarantee that he was born in December. Who cares? I gave you the... Uh, Example, the, the last Sunday, I think it was, of my grandmother. My grandmother didn't remember what year she was born. Does that mean that she wasn't born? Huh? So we see that those things don't matter. I don't care if it's December or July. This is the day that we have all the kind of accepted as the day that he was born. Let us celebrate his birthday and let us leave all the nonsense uh, aside, all the legalism. When Jesus, the Messiah, came into the world, he didn't meet the world's expectations in any way at all. He was despised and rejected. That's very clearly told in Isaiah 53, the famous chapter of his sufferings. It says there, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root out of, the, out of uh, dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. I don't know where the people of Israel were. They were expecting this huge, humongous hero, judge, like Samson or Gideon, to save them from the Roman yoke. Jesus didn't come. The Messiah didn't come to save us from the yoke of another person, a physical yoke. He came to save us from the yoke of sin. Came to save us from the yoke of Satan. Came to save us from the yoke of hell. And not only Israel, but all the nations. And the Bible says that in the book of Isaiah, again, chapter 42, that he is a light. He would be a light unto the Gentiles. And then... It says, there was no there's no beauty that we should desire him. He came meek and lowly as a, the son of, supposedly, right, a carpenter. And then it says, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. He did not meet their expectations. They were expecting him to come and deliver them from the Romans. He came to do a much greater work than that. Yet, in his infinite love, he still chose to be wounded for our transgressions. To be bruised for our iniquities. He endured punishment 
so we could enjoy peace. I thank the Lord for his peace that passes all understanding. And you know what? I never had that peace before I was saved. And if you are saved here this morning, I am sure you did not have that peace before you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He endured punishment so we could enjoy peace. Nothing is more beautiful and better than that. The world and we are imperfect, but Jesus is the perfect Savior. So let us praise God for his glorious love. Nothing could ever match the beauty of his sacrificial gift, Jesus. So Christmas is not about the gifts that we give each other. Christmas is about the gift the Father gave us. Always remember that. The world is so concentrated on the gifts they give each other that they totally neglect, despise, and don't even take into account the gift the Father gave us. How much does his sacrifice on the cross mean to you? Thirdly, Christ is the bearer of grace. In the Gospel of John, not in 1 John, but in the Gospel of John, in the first chapter, after the introduction, John says, And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. When we know the Lord, we realize more and more how much we need his grace. And the longer I live, the more I realize that everything is by his grace. It's nothing to do with me. Religions teach you that you, you may enter heaven or paradise or whatever concept they have of that if you're good, if you do this, if you do that. Nothing could be further from the truth. Salvation does not depend on what you and I do. It depends on what he did. And he did it once for all time, never to be repeated again. Because he was sufficient. Everything is by grace. It is all of him. It is none of me. It is none of you. We were saved by grace. And we are kept by grace. Grace is unmerited favor. God gave us his favor. And we did not merit it. We did not deserve it. But he gave it to us out of the goodness of his heart. It is God's gift. This gift is manifested at, at its fullest in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the news of his coming birth, Mary sang of corrupt leaders being brought low. In the Gospel of Luke, in the famous, when it was announced that he was going to be born, that she was going to have the Messiah, she was going to be the mother of the Messiah, she sang these words. She says, He has put down the mighty from their thrones. You know, kings and presidents and prime ministers, they think they're sitting very highly and lofty. <laughs> One of these days, the Lord is going to bring them all down. And exalted the lowly. That's in Luke 152. And Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, sang that a light had come to give light to those who sit in darkness. In chapter 1, verse 79. 
to guide our feet into the way of peace. Those were true believers. Those were the remnant, part of the remnant of Israel that believed in the coming of the Messiah, and they believed that he was going to come for that purpose that he came. After Christ's birth, angels sang of peace coming to earth. We all know these verses in Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story. It says in verse 13 of chapter 2, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. <clears throat> Through Jesus, an unworthy, sinful, and fallen world was about to receive God's help. So with Zechariah, Let's thank God that the light had come this Christmas, has come this Christmas. Let's marvel at the wonderful brilliance of His grace. And let us pray that one day soon, everywhere Jesus' arrival will be announced. And every heart prepare Him a home. Make sure you let His light shine in every area of your life. He said it clearly, if you love me, keep my commandments. Some people believe that because we're saved by grace, through faith, that we're not obligated to do any works. That's not right. We don't get saved by works, that's for sure. But we get saved unto good works. That he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you cannot be saved and say, I'm going to do whatever I want. No. If you're really saved, you're going to do what he wants, not what you want. Because you know what? He bought us with his blood. And what does it mean to buy? I bought this glass. If I bought it, whose is it? It belongs to me. It doesn't belong to the glass itself. The glass is not its own owner. I am because I bought it. So Jesus bought us with his blood. And if he bought us with his blood, then we belong to him. And if we belong to him, then we must do what he says we must do. Obey him. Not do whatever we want, because then you're not saved. How do you know you're a mature Christian? You know how you know you're a mature Christian? When you stop saying, this is my house, this is my clothes, my car, my family, I'm the boss here. When you start realizing that everything we are and everything we have, it's his. And everything that we have in this life is lent, is leased, as it were. Even your children, because one day your children are going to grow up, and they're going to move away. And the unhappier the home, the further away they'll go. The happier the home, the closer they'll stay. I remember one day Eddie's father, we were at his house upstate, and that was before he was saved. And we were having, I think it was Thanksgiving that we were having together, something. And you know how Vicente is. No filters. And he says to me in Spanish, he says, that's nonsense when they tell you that they shall um, leave mother and father and cleave to their wives or husbands and be one flesh. Baloney. They get married and they come back. Well, I wonder why they come back. They come back because probably they love being there. I know a lot of parents who say the opposite. They never see their children. And do you know, in this world in which we live, there are a lot of lonely people, especially in homes whose 
hearts are broken because their sons or daughters, grandchildren, never go to visit them. And you know what? Regardless of what your parents were or are, the Lord tells us to honor our mother and our father. Oh, but you don't know my father. No, but the Lord does. And he wrote it anyway. And you know why sometimes, and I was thinking of my father. You know, my father was not the ideal father. But let me be very quick to add that I miss him. He died 38 years ago. And I realize as I grow older that he was the way he was because his home when he grew up was not a happy home. And long ago, I learned this truth. Remember this. Damaged people damage. And if it's any consolation to you, I am sure your father or your mother, because it's usually the fathers, but there are mothers who do it too, hurt you, not because he was evil, but because he was hurt. He was damaged. So he didn't know any better. So how about forgiving? How about taking the higher road? How about being big and magnanimous? And remember the Lord's words right after the prayer, our Father who art in heaven. What does he say after that? He says, if you forgive others their, their sins or their trespasses, your Father in heaven will forgive you yours. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you yours. So let us not carry this gripe inside of us around this Christmas time. Let us release it. You want to be free today? How many of you want to be free? Raise your hand, all those who want to be enslaved. You want to be free? Really, you want to be free? Yes or no? I'm serious now. You want to be free? If you are holding some kind of a gripe, or some kind of bitterness in your heart against somebody, release it. Forgive him completely. And you will be free. Don't become a judge. One is the judge. You do what he says. Release it. Leave it in his hands. And if the person is wrong, they're going to have to give him an account. God did not appoint you a judge. One of the reasons why we know the Lord forgave our sins is because he sent his son. And boy, he had all the right in the universe to send us all to hell without a second thought. And yet, what did the Lord Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And boy, they did a lot to him, didn't they? They rejected him. They insulted him. They spat on him. They crucified him. They didn't stop until they killed him. And yet, he forgave. I'm just saying these things so that you all will be happier people. And um, around this time, now that I'm 74 years old, when I, was 20, when I was 18, my father didn't know anything. I knew it all. When he spoke to me, I didn't listen. I did the opposite. When I was 25 and I got saved, slowly but surely I began to think, oh, maybe, you know, this old man, maybe he knows a few things. And by the time I was 36, 
he was gone. And by the time I was 50, I said, I wish my dad was here. He was so wise. None of the things he warned us about was wrong. He was right every time. And sometimes my sister and I talk, and we remember some of the old things, good and bad, because I'm not trying to shillack anything. But so many times we say, you know, thank the Lord for our mom, our mom and dad. Especially my dad, because my mom we knew. My mom was my mom. She was not golden. She was a diamond. And I have no regrets because I got saved. And I went to my dad short, shortly after I got saved. I was still carrying all this bitterness inside of me. And I don't know why I'm telling you all these things now. <laughs> but maybe the Lord is leading me. Somebody needs to hear it. And uh, <clears throat> that's what happens when you finish your message early. <clears throat> <laughs> but I'm sure some of you can identify with this. How many of you came from a perfect home? I got saved, and shortly after I got saved, in an evening service in Astoria, <coughs> they gave an invitation, and I raised my hand. And the pastor came to me, and he says, I thought you were saved. Why did you raise your hand? And I said, I didn't raise my hand to be saved. I raised my hand because I'm having problems. And I told him, you know, my relationship with my dad. And I told him, you know, he mistreated my mom. He did this, he did that. And he says to me, whatever happened between your mother and your father is none of your business. It's their business. You owe your father respect, and you need to go to him and ask him to forgive you. I said, what? Forgive me? I, he, uh, me forgive him? He needs to forgive me. I mean, he needs to ask for forgiveness from me. He said, unless you do that, you're going to be carrying that with you. Oh, boy, let me tell you, I went home that day, that night, and I felt like I had the whole weight of the world on my shoulders. And it was just a whole time afterwards that I finally, finally, I brought myself to tell my father that I am sorry, that I was disrespectful to you. And I insulted you. And I wasn't nice to you. Do you know what happened? From that day on, he began treating me better. And my mother too. And it was nine years after I got saved that he came to me one day and he said, can't you find me a Greek Bible? I said, of course I'll find you a Greek Bible. So I brought him the Bible. He read the whole book of Genesis. And I knew where he was reading by the comments he made. And then he said to me, don't you have something in an easier Greek? I said, yes. So I brought him a New Testament in the modern Greek. He read it through. And then he started reading it through again. And he was more than halfway through when he passed away. So when he died, and I went home to get clothes for the wake. I saw it on the coffee table, the New Testament, and what he had marked inside uh, the book. Things that, were, that had touched him. It's been 38 years, and those markings are still in the same place. I never removed them. A few days before he died, and I found this out after we buried him, 
my mom told me. A few days before he died, he told my mother, I wish I could win the lotto. And my mother said, why do you want to win the lotto? So I could give all that money to Alex because he took care of me. I buried him, and I buried my mom. And you know how I feel? At peace. I have a friend in the ministry who had been a drug addict and gave his father a hard time, and his father passed away one year after this guy got saved. And he said, after my father died, I would take the car and drive upstate because I felt so bad and had so much guilt and there was nothing that would comfort me. I didn't have that. All I asked the Lord when I heard that he was dead and I sat in my home alone and I prayed and I said, Lord, give me assurance that my dad is in heaven with you. And that night when we went to the funeral home, as I bent over, to kiss him, two verses of scripture came to my, my mind. The first one said, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the other verse was from Isaiah 55 that said, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is my mercy toward those who love me. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And as soon as I thought of those two verses, this peace flooded my soul. I cannot explain that to you better than this. And I knew. And the pastor's wife said to me, Pastor Alex, if your dad was not in heaven, the Lord would not have given you that peace. Those of you who still have your parents, make sure you make the most of it. Because one day they're not going to be here. And you cannot solve anything after they're gone. The Lord came to give us salvation as a gift. Let us be generous, appreciative about the gift that he gave us, about the love that he has for us, and let us turn around and love others, especially those of our family. Because you know the old saying says, charity begins at home. So many people want to save the world and neglect their family. Start with your family. This Christmas, ask the Lord to make you a healing instrument in your family that you may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Make sure you let this light shine in every area of your life. Because you know what? Talk is cheap. In Wall Street, where I worked for 10 years, we used to say, put your money where your mouth is. Well, put your Christianity where your mouth is. You're a Christian? Act like one. Are there deficient areas in your life? Ask the Lord to help you get stronger in those areas. Start obeying his word. Don't forget that Jesus, the light of the world, came to save us. And we're unworthy, though we are. Which of us deserve to be saved? Let us be amazed by his grace and his infinite love. And let us give love. 
I know some people are difficult. I know. But you know what? I came to this realization long ago. People are difficult. But I am no piece of cake. And didn't the Lord say, take the beam out of your eye before you take the splinter out of your brother's eye? Why are we so hypocritical? I'm not asking you to excuse anybody's sin. And don't go to somebody who has no clue and tell them, I forgive you. Don't get excited. Don't tell anybody you forgive them unless they ask you for forgiveness, but you forgive them in your heart. Did the people that crucified the Lord Jesus Christ go to heaven? Answer me. Did his executioners, the Roman soldiers, and all the Pharisees and the Sadducees, did they go to heaven? But what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh, they went to hell. But he had no bitterness and no resentment in his heart. So let us learn the value of being a, a true believer by releasing and putting everything in his, in his hands. Because he knows better than we do. And this Christmas, my goodness, I trust and I pray that you will have a sweet Christmas with no, nothing burdening your heart, no bitterness, no resentment. Whatever there is, release it. And ask the Lord to heal it. We thank you for listening to this message and pray that the Word of God spoke to your heart. To listen to previous sermons, please visit us at www.cbttbc.com or anchor.fm forward slash cbt hyphen sermons.